And I, at first I was like, oh. And then I remembered that in the movie, he says, you better hold on tight, spider monkey. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I actually think I'll, I prefer a little coward. Yeah, I do remember <laughs> that quote from the movie and thinking like, what? Uh, what? <laughs> what? Um, first of all, you're the one climbing the tree, Edward. Why is she the spider monkey? I don't know. I just, that quote, every time I hear it, and I think that was another one that was in the trailer. Every time I hear it, I'm like, oh no, stop, stop. Who wrote that line? Because it's not in the book. Um, yeah, that running scene was also a little bit of a red flag because she does get sick afterwards because it's very intense. So the second time when he wants to run her to the baseball game, she doesn't want to do it because she's afraid she's going to get sick again. She's afraid she's going to get hurt. And he really like pressures her into it. It's just like, come on, come on. I didn't like that. Yeah, there are, there are a few times where, and we'll get to that too, there are a few times where he's just like, come on, come on, come on. And it's like, Edward, if she doesn't want to, just chill. Oh, I need to look what was happening on this page that I noted. Because <laughs> I have a quote about this, but I don't remember the context. We both took very thorough notes, but very like thorough to us, past us. Oh, it is the same scene where they're running to the baseball game. He starts kissing her to get her to convince her to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so in my notes, I just say kissing to get what you want. It's not it. Mm-mm, no. Not it, Edward. Not it. And I don't think that would fly in books today because it does come off as very gross. Yeah. And, and I think they do that better in the movie where she's just like, whoa, if we're going to run like that again, I'm going to need to close my eyes because that made me nauseous. And she does say it in the book, but it's less of like a, well, when we do that again, and more of like a, let's never do that again, because that made me sick. And then the second time it happens, he's like, well, come on, just close your eyes. It's like, Edward, you're running at like 100 miles an hour. She's allowed to be a little nervous. And kissing her to make her do it is just, yeah, that was hairy. I didn't like that. Um, after the, like, scene where we find out that Edward has been watching Bella, which is still weird, um, she meets his family for the first time. And I don't know how you felt about the description of their house, but it didn't match what I felt like the house turned out to be in the movie. No, and I like their movie house better. Me too. But also, I kind of understand it because... How I understood it seems like a very normal house in the front, mm. which makes sense because they're trying on to put on this facade that they are normal humans. Yes, we are simply humans. But then we find out, oh, it's once you get inside, it's very nice. Like, the back is all windows, but I don't know. I like their movie house better. It makes sense. They've been around hundreds of years. They would have a nice house. Yeah, well, and yeah, you've got, like, Dr. Cullen. Like, this, you get the impression that they're very wealthy, so this like really sleek, modern, cool house in the middle of the woods makes a lot more sense because the way they describe the outside of the house in the book, is like, oh, it's this old like three-story house, like very plain front, it looks kind of vintage. And then she gets inside and it's more, like more modern and very open and lots of windows. So that was just, yeah, I just, when I read the description, I was like, I don't remember thinking that the movie version felt different. And then we get the scene where Edward plays the piano for her and uh, Bella's, the way they describe Bella's song in the book fit what I remember from the soundtrack. So I really liked that. That was, that was one of those like twi hard is what they called us in the day. Uh, that was one of those like twi hard moments where I was like, oh my gosh, it's Bella's song and they describe it so well. And then she cries because the song is so touching and he licks her tear. <laughs> he eats 
her teardrop. Yeah, I hated that. I hated it so much. <laughs> and I didn't remember that from the first like read of this. So thank you to Past Me for blacking that out because I was like horrified. I was like, ew, he eats her tear? It's <laughs> eye water, sir. Stop that. But I guess he drinks blood, so... <laughs> I don't know. I was sad that the... Remember in the movie when they're walking up the stairs and it's like the full wall graduation cap? Yes, I was waiting for that in the book and I was sad we didn't get that. I was sad too. That's one of my favorite little additions in the movie is that like they've gone to high school so many times and he doesn't even have to say that directly to her in the movie. They walk up and she's like, wow, that's a lot of graduation caps. And he's like, well, I'm 100 years old. Yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah, naturally. That makes sense. Oh. Going off of this whole scene when he's showing her around the house, something I know we both hated was his CD collection. <laughs> and as as librarians, we both know there are a lot of ways you can catalog your collections. Mm-hmm. Um, but by year and preference? Oh, incorrect way. Incorrect way. I know that you can have your personal collections, but like your preferences change. Why would you organize it by preference? And heaven forbid anyone would want to borrow a CD from you and try and find it. Or like borrow it, like maybe his siblings borrow it and then go to put it back. And he's like, where is this CD? I prefer this very much over this other 1950s CD. Like Edward, that is such a weird way to organize your own collection. I'm just begging you by artist, by genre, anything other than what you're doing. I, it just like... If you had asked me what my favorite, like if you asked me today what my favorite color was 10 years ago, I don't know. I could guess, but I don't know for certain what I would have said 10 years ago, sir. And I don't know about most people, but my music preferences can change hourly. Yes, yes, absolutely. And so like not even by year and then alphabetically, Edward, by year and then by preference, odd yeah so if you're ever looking to trigger some librarians yeah don't come in and tell us that you organize your collection by uh i don't know preference and then author's middle name and then (laughs) color of the cover i just oh my gosh preference is such a weird way to organize something um it was also right around this time that i noted and I quote from my own notes, I don't typically like to critique the actual writing or syntax or vocabulary of a book because I am not an author. I can identify like what good syntax looks like, but I have never published a book, so it's not my business. The amount of times that we used adverbs and the same adverbs is hard not to notice. Um, I started tallying how many times we said hugely Hmm. and sinuously. I don't know what context we're using sinuously in because when I think of sinuous, I think of someone who's like, and maybe this is a different spelling, but I think of like muscular. Yeah. Like sinewy, I think of like a muscular like build. So when Alice sits down in Edward's room and she describes it as sitting down sinuously, I was like, what? It, how do you sit down sinuously? <laughs> and now I feel like I need to Google what the definition of that word is because I was like, I don't think I know how to sit sinuously. Yeah, let's have a mid-podcast fact check on that one. Sinuously. In a twisting, curving way or in a way that has many curves. Like a snake. So that makes sense more for Alice. Yeah, like if she's like gracefully dancing in and then like just twirling around and sitting down crisscross applesauce, I could see where that would be sinuously. But we used that word a lot. A lot. And of course, after I wrote that note and had started keeping tally, it stopped being said. So I was like, well, I guess that doesn't 
match what I thought, but it stood out enough that I was like, sinuously, again? We're all doing something sinuously. That was a lot. Um, this quote was in the book and in the movie, and I love it both times. Um, when Bella reveals to Charlie that she's dating Edward, and he's like, I thought you said you didn't like any of the boys in town. And she says, well, Edward doesn't live in town, Dad. <laughs> That's such a teenager thing to say. Like, well, he technically lives out of town. Yeah, he's on the outskirts of town, so technically I don't like any of the boys that live in town. And I remember in the movie, that's one of the first lines, maybe not one of the first, maybe I'm remembering it wrong, but I remember that stands out in my mind as being like one of the best delivered lines, because she's like, well, he doesn't live in town, dad. And it's just like, so clever. I love Bella. She's so funny. But that starts to lead up to the baseball scene, which is such a good scene in the movie and in the book, my in my brain, Supermassive Black Hole immediately started playing. Oh, sure. And I will say, I will say the first three-fourths of this book, I was kind of, like, on the fence. Like, <laughs> I liked it. I didn't like it. Like, I was kind of down the middle. Mm-hmm. This last fourth of the book, I loved. Yes. Yeah, because the first third, or the first three quarters is a lot of, like, Daily going to school, the people at school, I come home and make Charlie dinner, I go to school, and it's like, okay, Bella, we get, we all go to school. Yeah, I had in my notes, like, we don't really have much of a plot here, like, it's kind of just, like, them getting to know each other, but, like, once this baseball scene hits, we are going. It's fired up from there, yeah. I actually wrote in my notes, I've been forgetting to take notes, because after the encounter with James, the story moves fast. Uh, yes. The baseball scene is super fun. Like, even if you're not a baseball fan and you're not super familiar with, like, infield, outfield, like, you know, the different kind of terminology, they don't use a ton, but it's still fun to follow. Like, you can kind of picture it in your head. And if you can't picture it, the baseball scene in the movie is, like, one of the best scenes. And setting it to Supermassive Black Hole is, like, <laughs> oh, it's so fun. It's iconic. It, it is. If You have to see it. Yeah. Yeah. If you... Are listening to the podcast and it's been a while since you've seen the movie or you've never seen the movie you definitely should watch it um it's i don't they're just fun i think that the book does some things better and the movie does some things better but it's just it's such a good it's just fun but yeah i even wrote in my notes i forgot how well paced it is from here we're like the first three quarters of the book like we get a lot of like school stuff and from here on out, it's like a race to the end. Yes, it really goes fast from here. Did it mean I stopped taking notes? No, I wrote <laughs> so many things after this. Oh, I forget that the Cullens talk really fast. Oh, yeah, they do kind of mention that. Yeah, she says a few times that, like, especially Alice talks so fast. I think at one point she says it's, it reminded her of, like, a hummingbird buzzing. Yeah, that, and since Edward can hear their thoughts, a lot of the time they won't talk out loud to him because... He can just hear what they're thinking. Mm-hmm. And if you've read Midnight Sun, which is Twilight told through the perspective of Edward, that's basically the whole book, is Edward just reading other people's thoughts and then reacting maybe out loud? Probably not. I think you can probably assume from the uh, that, that vibe how I felt about Midnight Sun. But I don't know why it bothered me that that was a detail, that like they talk super fast, but I was just like... Why do they talk super fast? I get running fast, mm-hmm. but talking super fast is kind of silly. I don't know why. It is, especially when you think about the fact that they're so old. Like, you would think, 
I don't know, that they have such long lives that they don't need to talk so fast. If anything, they could talk slower. You're immortal. <laughs> you are literally never going to die. If you take two extra seconds to talk, it's not going to be a waste of your time. You have all the time in the world. <laughs> literally all the time in the world. So once they encounter James and his party in the forest, that starts to pick up. James, we find out, is a tracker. And so this is like a different kind of vampire who like sets his sights on somebody and like will not give up until he gets to like eat them. So they concoct this whole plan to try to like throw James and his partner, I think. I mean, they make more of a reference to it in the movie that they're together, like dating together. Um, but they're kind of just in like a little mini coven in the book. I don't think we ever really like established that James and Victoria are like in a relationship. Yeah, that's not said in the book, and I don't remember the other vampire's name that is with them. But he They're kind not. of he oh yes he kind of backs off and says I was just traveling with them. I don't really know them. Yeah, but we don't learn too much about their relationship. No, we don't learn too much about James and Victoria. Laurent will make another appearance. So. They are going to try and, like, throw Victoria and James off of Bella's scent because James is, like, made aware that the Cullens are hanging out with a human. And so, at this point, their plan is that Bella comes back to Phoenix. And most of my notes are about how confused I was about so many of the different... It's very detailed um, because Stephanie Meyer does, or has, I'm not sure that she still does, but has lived in Phoenix. And so there are some parts where I was just like, oh... That's not. The, the, the description of Sky Harbor is pretty accurate, but um, she says that there's like a dance studio that Alice has a vision. She can see the future that uh, James is going to attack or like plans to do something at a dance studio. And Bella's like, oh, I know where that is. I used to go there. It's on Cactus and 58th. Cactus and 58th exists, but it's like a residential area in Scottsdale. I'm not saying that the dance studio has to exist because we know from like other fandoms that people would mob that place. They would just never leave it alone. But I was like, mm. it is hard to read a pl about a place that you live in. And in your mind, you're just constantly making a map of like, okay, I know where that is. It doesn't make sense or it does make sense, but I don't know. Yeah. It is interesting reading it. Reading about a city that you live in. Yeah, and I'm, I've got lots of notes on that, so we'll come back to that. Um, but James calls Bella, and she decides that she's going to confront him. And the other thing about Bella is that Edward can't read her mind. Alice can't see her in, like, future visions. And I thought at this point, oh, I was going to say we know some things about Bella, but I don't know if you know what Bella's ability is. When... I don't. Okay. This is one of the things I don't know about the story. So that's going to come up in Breaking Dawn. It's a way far away from here. But Bella's... Edward and Alice's inability to see Bella and, like, interact with her mind comes up again in the future. And it'll tie into why... It all makes sense at the end. Okay, great. But now I feel like it kind of feels like an easy plot device. Sure. Like, not knowing what her... Not knowing how that ties in, I don't know how you felt about that. I definitely was confused by it. And, like, throughout the book, I was wondering, like, why is she so special? Like, what is it that he's interested in? Why can't he read her thoughts? I definitely was wondering, but I was hoping we would eventually get it in another book. But the end of the series, I don't know if I can wait that long. It's, it's 
<laughs> I don't know if the payoff's worth it, but it does come back. But I felt like when Bella was planning to run away and confront James, it was a little convenient that nobody could read her mind and nobody mm. could see what her decision is because Alice only gets a vision when someone has decided to do something. Right. But obviously she doesn't see if Bella has decided to do something. So when Bella decides she's going to run away from Alice and Jasper and confront James, it's like, oh, well, how convenient because nobody would know. I just wanted to talk about, too, this scene of them making their plan to run away and where they're going to go and how they're going to hide her. Oh, it's such, like, a recurring nightmare almost of mine, the feeling of being chased and, like, there's nowhere you can go. It is so scary. And we don't have Cullen money. Or their speed or their strength. like Or apparently their ability to completely evade traffic. Laws. Seriously, like, they're driving so fast all the time. They made it from Washington to Phoenix in a day, in under a day. And you're telling me you never passed a cop? Not once did you even, <laughs> were you even nervous about getting pulled over? Wild to me. It's Jasper's ability. He's subduing them or something. Yeah, they're just, or, or Alice knows the right way to go because she can predict where there's going to be a cop on the freeway. I don't know, but it's very convenient. <laughs> this is another thing that comes up that I was like, wait, wait. I literally wrote in my notes, wait, wait, wait. Bella gets off the phone with James. They've gotten Bella squirreled away in Phoenix. He's called, she's called home to warn her mom, who still is supposed to live in Phoenix, like, but she's in Florida. But she's living in Florida temporarily. If she comes home, she'll get this voicemail from Bella of Bella being, like, panicked and, like, call me as soon as you get this. I'm safe, but, like, I need to talk to you about something. And then James is the one that calls her with Bella's mom to say, like, you better you better come find me or else your mom's toast. And she comes out and says to Alice, like, James walks her through like what she's going to say to Alice to trick Alice and she comes out and is like oh it was just my mom she got my message she's she's not going to leave she stayed in Florida like everything's fine does Alice not know how a home phone works (laughs) because I was like wait a minute she very they very distinctly say that Bella calls the house phone because her mom doesn't have a cell phone right I did think though the house phone in Florida, but then how would have James heard it? I don't know. It was all very confusing. I didn't think of that. It could be the house phone in Florida. But yeah, it was so weird because it was just like, does Alice, I'm like, are we just going to like ignore the fact that Alice might know how a home phone works? And like, if her mom were still at the airport in Florida getting ready to fly to Phoenix, because that's the impression that we get is that she should be landing in Phoenix like any time now to come home. If she left a voicemail on her or on the answering machine, because it's 2005, if we leave a voicemail on the answering machine and her mom's still at the airport in Florida or in the sky, how did she hear that voicemail? And Alice is really just like, oh, okay, good. I'm glad your mom's safe. (laughs) Oh, Alice. Well, Alice doesn't know. And I mean, we didn't know at this point in the book either that her mom is not on a plane. Mm -hmm. She's not in Phoenix. Yeah, she hasn't even left florida she doesn't even know to leave florida right yeah because there's no and i think they did this better in the movie i want to say that bella's mom is coming home because bella leaves forks and i think in the movie charlie calls renee and that's where everything gets thrown kind of around because he calls her to say like bella ran away i think she's coming home to you 
I think we need to rewind and talk about Bella telling <gasps> Charlie that she's leaving. Oh <laughs> my gosh, because we talked about what a sweet, sweet angel Charlie is and the way that Bella has to devastate him to get him to let her leave. is the most heartbreaking thing I've ever read, the way she talked to him. It's hurtful just knowing like, you know, this is like somebody, who, this is your parent. He cares about her regardless of like what's happened between them or like maybe like the absence that she feels from him not being there as much. The fact that she pulled out the same line her mom gave when she left. Oh my gosh. Oh, it's so cruel. I don't think, I don't know what goes on in the next three books, but there's nothing she could do to repair that. That is so cruel. It was so cruel. And I, and in this book, at least we don't get any, resolution like there's never a time when Bella's like I'm sorry I was upset like I just needed to do whatever I needed to say whatever I could to let like get you to let me leave because I didn't want to be here anymore I genuinely like teared up a little at that part because you could tell that like and she and I mean she mentions in like her thoughts that like she feels guilty she knows that she's gonna have to pull all the big guns she knows she's gonna have to say the thing that will devastate him but like oh and i think it is kind of realistic too though because as a teen you do say some horrendous things to your parents and you don't realize at that age how deep it cuts yeah and i think that might be the pass that the book gives bella and that we never get that resolution between her and charlie it's just like well Charlie's a grown-up, like, Charlie's her parent. She should He should just know that, like, teenagers say things that they don't really mean, even though they're, like, really hurtful and, like, really cutting. But we also get the impression that Bella's, like, an old soul and that she's, like, a little more understanding and a little more sympathetic to, like, she, she understands adults more than, like, a typical teen might. So I just really wanted, like, a moment where she apologizes or just says, like, I hope you know I didn't mean any of that. Like, I was upset. I was hurt. Yes. I don't know if we ever get it, but I just want... I just want her to explain everything to him and apologize because it was so painful. It's tragic. That is... I can't... Yeah, I can't believe I skipped over that to go right to the James stuff. Like, that scene is so heartbreaking. And it's just as hard to watch in the movie. Because even though you don't get Bella's thoughts in the movie, you can tell by the way that she, like, hesitates and then says it. And I think... In the movie, she might say in the car, like, that's the last thing that Renee said to him when she left. And you know, like, oh my gosh, what a horrible, hurtful thing to say, especially because Renee just leaves Charlie because she hates forks. There's nothing Charlie could have done. Oh, it hurts me. It's so sad. And back to the dance studio, we're just, the pain keeps on going. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And before the dance studio, to lighten up our sad mood just a little, I did take a note that said... Edward flies from Seattle to Phoenix, and obviously, like, Sky Harbor, the accurate depiction, he lands at Terminal 4, and I wrote, Edward landing in Terminal 4 because he's 100% a Southwest girly. (laughs) You know he booked a want-to-get-away flight. It was $40. This is 2005, so it's $40. Had to sit in the middle seat. mm -hmm, Had to sit in the middle seat, got his little bag of Chex Mix, didn't snack on it because he doesn't eat human food. (laughs) Just sat there the whole time. Can't sleep because he doesn't sleep. He took he took a want to get away flight. We're certain. Um, this was also another part where I felt like uh, I was a little confused. <sighs> Having been in Sky Harbor, when they're waiting at when they're waiting for Edward's flight to land, I could not get a sense of where we were. I also was confused. It felt like we are 
at the gate. Yes, and I wrote that too. We we couldn't possibly be at the gate because the book's written in 2005. So we're post 9-11. We're post like the rules being stricter about coming to meet like your party at the gate. But I can't picture so many like she she mentions that they pass like several food stalls before she evades Jasper and runs. I was like, I don't spend a ton of time in the arrivals because I just circle Terminal 4 until the person I'm waiting for is ready to come out. I don't park. Um, But I can't picture that many food stalls and, like, bathrooms and places to sit and wait for your party to come. But maybe I just don't spend enough time... Well, and I was going to say I don't spend enough time downstairs at Sky Harbor, but she also takes an elevator down to run. Yeah, it was very confusing. And something else that I was confused about is... Jasper's ability is to read people's feelings. And you're telling me he didn't feel that she was going to run away? I don't know. The whole thing was very convenient. Yeah. And I get it. We had to move on and get to the to the drama. But it was just a little bit like, mm, I don't know about that. Yeah, like I knowing Bella's character, the way we've known her the whole book, I don't buy that she wouldn't be panicking. How could you not be? Yeah. She yeah, thought her anybody. mom was in danger. The scary vampire was chasing her. Any normal person would be freaking out. And she's about to run. Like, she's she's devised this plan to get away from them, and she's not even confident it's going to work. So you're telling me she wouldn't feel a little bit of anxiety and Jasper wouldn't sense that? I don't know. Yeah, that part was a little weird. It was, like you said, a little convenient that, like, Jasper just lets her go to the bathroom by herself and doesn't sense the whole time that she's, like... Oh my gosh, I'm going to run. Also, hold on. I didn't even think of this until now. How many times has Bella told us that she can't run anywhere because she'll trip and die? <laughs> and all of a sudden, you are a runner. She's a track star. Like, no, I'm not buying it. I don't. It was all a little convenient. Uh, the other thing I wrote about this scene, which is, again, I just could not let it go. At the beginning of the book, Bella says that she went to, she lived in Paradise Valley and she says she lived in, like, a poorer neighborhood in Paradise Valley. Now, I didn't live in Phoenix in 2005, so I don't know if the demographic of Paradise Valley has changed. But not the impression I get from Paradise Valley. And then she gives the cab driver her mother's address. And I look up her mother's address because she says it's right around the corner from the dance school, which we've already found out is on the corner of Cactus and 58th. I, did, I turned into Nancy Drew at one point. It's in Scottsdale. It's very far from Paradise Valley. Like, far enough that it's pretty unlikely she would have gone to the Paradise Valley schools. <sighs> Stephanie, I have questions. Why is her mom's perceived address literally, like, walking distance to Chaparral High School? I I had a problem with it. It sidetracked <laughs> me. I had, like, 40 pages left in the book, and I probably spent, like, half an hour looking at the map and being like, no! <laughs> This doesn't make any sense. So that was my little side tangent. Most readers who don't live in Arizona would not think twice about it. But because we're here, we had to read into it. (laughs) We got sidetracked. Uh, I went down a rabbit hole that was not necessary. And I did even write in there, like, I know as a teenager on my first read of this, that never occurred to me. I had never been here. It would not have even been on my radar. Living here, I'm like, Stephanie... She would have gone to Chaparral. She would have walked to school every day. It's like less than a mile down the road from this address you're giving us. I don't buy it. Um, but we, she escapes Jasper and Alice. She gets to the dance studio. James, we find out, has tricked her. Her mother is not there. It is an old home video. Dirty, dirty trickster. Oh, 
devastating. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and that's the part where you're like, oh no. Oh, she's, she escaped for nothing. This whole little plan she devised has immediately gone off the rails. Like instantly she walks in and it's gone off the rails. Oh, and this is where we find out time because she walks up to the dance studio and there's a sign that says, close for spring break. Yes. So it's like March, April? March, probably. Yeah. So again, I don't have any perception of time in this book, but it's fine because we don't need we don't need time. What's time when vampires exist? <laughs> One thing I wrote down, I said, "Ooh, spooky." Um, James calls out that humans have a lack of self interest in their own lives, and it's really weird because in the beginning or like in the middle of the book, Edward is frustrated with Bella because he thinks that she lacks interest in self preservation. Yeah, he does say that about her. So that is interesting that James picks that up right away oh yeah it was like a creepy little comparison this okay we were talking about this with another um twilight fan earlier and i was like oh my gosh i can't even say the note that i took because i wanted to see your reaction let me find out that james was tracking someone else and there's only one other person he's tracked (gasps) as hard as bella and it's alice oh (laughs) i literally wrote whoa in all capitals i forgot that this happened Oh, and I had written in my notes much earlier on in the book, I'm so intrigued by Alice. I want a whole book about Alice. Her backstory is so interesting. So when that drop happened, I was like, oh no. I'm getting chills again just thinking about it. Um, Alice was always my favorite character, so I'm, I'm team Alice. Like, I'm with you. I want a whole Alice book. I would be fine with Stephanie Meyer publishing a whole book just about Alice and her backstory and like what she's, what is she doing now? I need an Alice epilogue. But when we find out that the first person James ever hunted like this was Alice, I was just like, no, (gasps) no. And I don't remember if that made the movie. I don't remember either. And I feel like I wouldn't have had the context at the time to grasp how Mm. important that was. But yeah, that was definitely shocking. And like, yeah, at this point in the book, Alice was my favorite side character. Yeah. So to hear that was, oh my gosh, that oh. really, that really shook me. It's a big, it's a big reveal, and it's a big like owie kind of moment because you love Alice so much, and like the fact that she doesn't know anything about her past is kind of sad. So yeah, that I cannot. I'm gonna have to watch the movie again because I cannot imagine that that is in the movie because it really shocked me seeing it in the book. Yeah, it's been so long since I've watched the movie, but I don't really remember that either. Yeah. So we have this, like, sort of showdown between Bella and James. It's not a showdown because the poor girl is completely outstrengthed. Yeah, she really had no chance. No. He immediately just, like, throws her into a mirror. She hits her head. He breaks her leg. I'm like, sir, (sighs) she's already down. She's bleeding from the skull. I think you can probably leave her leg alone. (laughs) So that's hard. Like... It, that happens really fast, and then we don't really get kind of the end of the fight like you do in the movie because mm-hmm. Bella is like in and out of consciousness. Yeah. Um, but I did think it was, I'm I could be completely wrong. Edward says I love you, and Bella says I know, and I was like, oh, that's also in Star Wars. I wonder if she's <laughs> making a Star Wars reference. Oh. But I don't know if I don't know if Stephanie Meyer, if you're listening to the pod, give us a call. I want to know if you're a Star Wars fan. <laughs> We don't really get much else of the fight because then Bella's in the hospital recovering. Yeah, we it is sort of in and out. So we do know that Edward and Carlisle are there trying to help her. And we do get the him sucking out the venom. Mm-hmm. Oh, which, yeah. The self-control. 
Yes, and this is another scene that I remember being more dramatic in the movie, of it being very hard for him to stop. Mm-hmm. He's very afraid he's going to kill her. And in the book, he kind of says, like, oh, I was afraid I was going to kill you. But it doesn't seem, like, that dramatic. No, because he talks to her right after. And, yeah, in the movie, I almost thought they did it a little bit better because this whole time we're hearing about how rich and delicious Bella's blood must be because he's so attracted to her scent. And then he's able to just, like... All the venom's gone. I did it. Yeah. Like, I, it, it was a little hard to believe that that was all. It, it felt too easy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I almost wanted to get some of that. In the movie, Carlisle has to be like, Edward, that's, you did it. Like, you're good. Yeah. And then he's like, Edward, okay, now stop. Yeah. And in the book, it's kind of like, Bella, are you okay? Okay, good. We did it. <laughs> it's, yeah, it happens a little too fast. And then we get to the hospital and Bella gets, like, a recap from Edward about what happened after she, like, succumbs to morphine. Which, like, also, Carlisle, you're just carrying morphine around? I mean, I know you're a doctor, but, like, I don't think normal doctors just carry morphine around. I would like to have a sidebar about Carlisle because <sighs> I love him. But also, something I never really thought about, Carlisle is a doctor. He's at a hospital around blood all day, every day. Like, I don't know. I just never put that connection together, like... He is a vampire constantly around blood. Like, that is very impressive. And they talk about that a little bit in the book where, like, Edward talks about how Carlisle has established this, like, coven, like, his family of people who don't eat human blood. And that Carlisle is, like, (laughs) so self-restrained and so, like, committed to this lifestyle that, like, working in a hospital, it's, like, nothing to him. Like, he doesn't even smell the blood anymore. I was like, wow. Yeah, and it's mentioned, too, that kind of puts it in perspective. During all this, when they're trying to help heal Bella, that Emmett and Jasper had to leave because of all of the blood. Yeah. And Edward and Carlisle, they were able to withstand it. Yeah, and Alice, to a degree, too, like... Carlisle tells her to stop breathing because they they're vampires. They don't have to breathe. But it makes it easier if they don't breathe to not smell the blood. And so, yeah, it was interesting that you don't really... It's hard to tell, like, where in time Alice becomes a vampire compared to Emmett. We know Jasper's kind of new. So it was interesting that, like, Emmett couldn't withstand it, but Alice could. She just, she just had to stop breathing. I just want to sidebar again because one of my favorite parts of the book was Edward's family. I love them. And, like, we know at first they're very skeptical of Bella and they're, like, very wary of it. But I think any any sibling, you are wary of your sibling's partner at first. Yeah. You're going to be judgy of them. You want to make sure they're okay. But then when the going gets tough, they really stand up for Bella. Yeah. And they really protect her. And I loved that. That was one of my favorite parts of the book. And they even tell her a few times, like, you're our family now. Like, oh. you're important to Edward, so you're important to us. And yeah. I thought that was really cute. I really loved the sibling representation, even though they're, like, not really siblings. Mm-hmm. But I loved it. They're close enough that, it, like, it counts. The one scene, like, speaking of siblings and the Cullen family, the one thing that um, I was sad that isn't in the book, but I thought was a great addition in the movie, when Bella comes over for the first time, they've like prepared this whole dinner because they know she eats human food and she's already eaten because she knows they don't eat human food and she doesn't know they're preparing this dinner and like Rosalie shatters the salad bowl because she's like but we prepared a meal for you (laughs) I was kind of sad that that wasn't in the book because it gives you that sense of like they're really trying and they really care about her and Rosalie throughout the book and the movie is still so weary of Bella 
that like that is a slight for her. Yes, we do get a little bit of it when she's at the hotel with Alice, and Alice says like, "Oh, Edward reminded me that you need to eat a lot more than we do." So yeah. she is like constantly bringing her snacks and breakfast. She just got food like all the time in the hotel room. It's so cute. Going back to the hospital scene, I know you're gonna love this too. Bella's heart stopping. Like Ugh. the monitor. <laughs> The monitor stopping when Edward kissed her. I literally wrote in my notes, I cannot, I cannot. Can we just, I get it. The first time you're a little dizzy, like you're so excited to kiss the boy you like for the first time that you get a little head rush. You literally died for a second. <laughs> Cut it out. Yeah, that, Bella. it was a bit cringy. And his like, he was really into how he could hear her heart racing on the machine. I don't know. I didn't like that. <laughs> I don't like it. Um, so that was weird. And then... Uh, Bella sees Renee, and Renee knows she's okay. This was funny. Phil's baseball team is called the Suns. Phil is her stepdad. Um, and the Suns are Phoenix's basketball team. And so I was like, that's funny. I wonder if the Suns are an actual like minor league Florida baseball team. They are, and guess what their colors are? Purple, white, and orange. Oh, how convenient. So bizarre. I just, again, fell down a rabbit hole thinking, like, is that real? Like, did she just use the Suns because she was like, oh, I don't know, basketball, we'll put it in there. No, they do have a baseball team, and their colors are exactly the same as the Phoenix Suns. The, the hospital scene is the hospital scene. I don't think that it's super consequential. But then we get the epilogue. The prom. And Edward forces Bella to go to prom. And I literally <sighs> wrote in my notes, this borders on torture for her, and I hate it. Ugh. It's just like the running thing. Like, she doesn't want to do it. It's uncomfortable for her, for whatever reason, it does not matter. And so he's like, oh, I have this surprise for you. Alice gets her all dolled up. She's already kind of uncomfortable because she doesn't really like that. She doesn't wear makeup. She's not huge into dresses. Alice puts her in this stiletto that she's pretty sure is gonna kill her. To which I was like, Bella, babe, we haven't figured out where we're going yet. He put a corsage on you. There are multiple times throughout this story where she is just oblivious to what is happening. And I'm just like, Again, it goes back. I think it was a trope at the time, yeah. the, like, oblivious, the clumsy girl. And it honestly, though, it kind of, the Bella that we've been built up to know, it's kind of in contradiction to that because she's in AP biology. She's already done all the biology labs. She's really good at school. She's read all the books on the reading list that the, like, advanced English class is going to read. She only reads the classics. And you're going to tell me that this academically inclined woman is so oblivious to everything around her that she doesn't know on prom night that her boyfriend wearing a tuxedo might be taking her to prom. I didn't believe it. We we see multiple times throughout this book that Bella is book smart and not street smart. <laughs> True. <laughs> Walking down an alleyway by herself. We didn't even talk about Port Angeles when she walks down an alleyway by herself and gets chased by strange men. Girl, you womanhood 101 is that you don't go somewhere by yourself especially in a strange city especially in the dark bella Ugh. and she's like oh i'm from phoenix phoenix is so big i know how to operate in a city no apparently you do not no going all by yourself in the alleyway spooky bella calls rose or bella calls emmett rosalie's sometimes husband and that confused me yeah their whole relationship was a bit confusing because at one point edward mentions oh, they're going to get married again in a few years. So I don't know if this is sort of like, oh, they keep repeating going to high school every few years, so maybe they just, they get married every so often. Post-grad. 
Yeah, that was it was a little weird. It was just one of those things where I was like, well, we as the reader know that they're married, that like they are coupled up. I don't know why we call them sometimes husband. That's weird. Um, I liked, I wrote, um, I like that prom is in the gym in the book because it feels very Forks. <laughs> forks High School. Although I did write earlier in the book that we have a dance and a prom in the same semester. We're, yes. We're balling on a budget, I thought, but apparently not. I don't know how most high schools do it, but that, it felt like two dances very close together. Yeah, very close together. But the prom in the gym felt very real to me. I don't remember, like, what the vibe is in the movie, but it's definitely not in the gym. Because they go out to that, like, uh, gazebo and dance. Yeah, I do remember it being kind of fancy. It feels more like a country club. And yeah. country club is not Forks. <laughs> that is not the vibe in Forks, Washington. No. Maybe in real life Forks. This is a real city, so I can't dog on a real city. But fictional Forks does not feel like it has a country club. No. So the high school gym felt fitting. We also, in the epilogue, get an interaction with Jacob again, which is like one of the first in a while. Yeah, we only really see Jacob like maybe three times throughout the whole book. Yeah. Jacob comes in. We do get a scene earlier in the book where Billy, Jacob's dad, has kind of warned Bella. Like, Bella already knows that Edward's a vampire and Billy knows Jacob is oblivious. Jacob has no idea. And so Jacob is sent by his dad to warn... He's paid $20. I was Aww. like, oh, I would have... I would oh, no, he gets the car part he wants. Yes, but I do think he got paid $20 also to go to the prom. Which, if it was just the $20 alone, I would have been like, nah, Billy. Do your own But also work. I was confused because I don't think Jacob goes to their school. No, he mentions earlier in the book that he goes to school on the reservation and knows a lot of the kids at the high school. I guess I don't know how proms work, but I don't think you could just show up at a prom that is not your school unless you were invited. They also just buy their tickets at the door. I was like, at least when I went to prom, we had to buy the tickets like at least a month in advance so the school could give the... My prom was at a country club. Uh, at least so they could give them like a head count. Like, here's what our capacity is going to be. Yeah. But they just sauntered up and bought a ticket and said, we're coming in. It um, doesn't matter if you go to the school or not. And Jacob didn't buy a ticket at all. He said, I'm not staying. I'm not staying. I'm just going to pop in and threaten my friend for my dad, and then I'm going to go. Um, so he pops in. He steals Bella away from Edward for a second. Warns her that, like, Billy is, like, afraid for her. He wants her to break up with Edward. Uh, and he says, we're watching you. And Jacob makes it very clear. He's like, I'm not watching you. We, but not as in me. <laughs> we, but not me. There may be another we. There may be a royal we, but me, Jacob. I am not watching you. Not like that. Yes, and this was another moment where I was like, how does Jacob not know? He must know. Right, like why, if this were all truly just some silly legend that his dad is like so bought into, why are we going to such great lengths? At some point you have to just be like, okay, maybe there is some truth to this. Also, I've told Bella the story about the cold ones and I know Edward Cullen is cold as ice. <laughs> It, it doesn't strike him as a little coincidental. There was another weird moment during this scene, too, where she talks about how Jacob has grown and he's so tall now. He's six feet tall. And it simply could not be more than a month since the last time she's seen him. Like, does Jacob think that growth spurts just add eight inches to you overnight? Like, that's a... He's 6'2", and we don't ever hear, like, how tall he is before the growth spurt, but Bella is surprised. Yes. So I don't know if this is leading into more of a relationship between them to like oh she sees him as more than just like a childhood friend now Ooh, you have to keep going yes i know 
she says a little begrudgingly. Uh, yeah, it definitely leads in. It definitely ties into something. But yeah, apparently for him, waking up one day and being six foot two is just like, oh, well, I guess I've been drinking milk. <laughs> like, Jacob, you're huge. Ugh, this was another time where I was like, Edward annoys me. Edward comes back. Like, Jacob warns her. He leaves. Edward comes back. He's like, oh, I hate Jacob Black. And it's like, Edward, relax. He's 15. <laughs> Are you upset because he's taller than you now? Like, and as a person who was 100 years old and literally just saved this girl's life, you don't need to be so insecure <laughs> about other, like, high school boys. Truly. I literally wrote in my notes, Edward, you're 100. Act like it. Like, <laughs> You do not need to be so jealous of a child. Like, we've gotten the impression already that Jacob is, a, he's 15. He's Jacob is young. He's just a boy. And Edward has lived many lives. This woman has told you that she wants to die for you and become a vampire. And you're going to be so insecure to, A, presumably read Jacob's thoughts. He never says that he did, but I'm, we know Edward well enough to know. And then to be like, Oh, he called you pretty. Edward, cut it out. Uh, <laughs> just like, you don't need to be so jealous. This this person has literally told you she wants to turn into a vampire and leave her family and run away from all the life she knows to be with you. Not him. He's just troubled. <laughs> <laughs> he's so troubled. Uh, yes, he... He's 100, technically, but he certainly has not matured past 17. No, he's merely a boy. He's merely a boy. Then, yeah, and then we get the scene where he, like, kisses her on the neck and kind of lingers there, and then the book ends. And we don't know? Well, we kind of know. There's more books. But imagine, this book had just come out, and that was all you had. You don't know? Yep. And you're just like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen next? So, and I mean, for you, oh my gosh, what's going to happen next? Well, I have been a person in the world for the last 15 years, so I do have a bit of knowledge about where the story goes, but I don't know all the details, which I definitely found out reading this. I did not know everything that went on. There's a lot more nuance that I didn't know about. Yep, the in-between is a lot of fun, so uh, I am excited. I'm going to keep going because it's nostalgic and it's revelatory for me to be rereading these as an adult. Yeah, I definitely think I'll keep going. We'll see. Yay! Well, if you have enjoyed listening to us talk about Twilight for an hour, you should let us know because we'll do it again. We'll do it for New Moon. And if you have thoughts, if you have like fond memories of having read Twilight, having watched Twilight, if you haven't reread it, if you've never reread it, I highly recommend. Or at least YouTube the baseball scene, if nothing else. Yeah, if nothing else... Listen to the soundtrack after this podcast ends. Watch the baseball scene. It's iconic. And watch the spider monkey scene so you know how cringy it is to hear him say, you better hold on tight, spider monkey. Oh, I hope that that's the line of all the movies Robert Pattinson has made. I hope that's the one that he regrets the most because I regret it for him. He'll never live it down. No, he can't. It's not It's not possible. Oh, well... You better hold on tight, spider monkeys, because we will we will definitely come back with another episode of this if uh, if that's what the people want. I think I think they should. I think I think it's got to happen. Well, this has been so much fun. Uh, this has been Caroline and Lexus, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Shelf Logic. 
Make sure to hit subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. Follow us on social media where we are at MCLDAZ. 